Dorothea Brand. Forward by John Gardner. A Jeremy P. Tarcher slash Putnam book published by G.P. Putnam's Sons, New York. A Jeremy P. Tarcher slash Putnam book published by G.P. Putnam's Sons Publishers, since 1838-200 Madison Avenue, New York, New York 10016. Library of Congress cataloging in publication data brand, Dorothea Thompson, dates becoming a writer reprint of the 1934 edition published by Harcourt, Brace, New York Bibliography P177 includes Index 1 Fiction M-Technique to Authorship by Title. P in 3355 D7 ISBN 0874771641. Copyright Copyright 1934 by Harcourt, Brace and Company, 1961 by Gilbert I. Collins and Justin Brand. Forward Copyright 1981 by J.P. Tarcher Incorporated. All rights reserved Library of Congress Catalog Card No. 53146. Designed by John Brona. Manufactured in the United States of America. 2019 18 17 16 15 14 13. For two Josephines. Contents. Forward by John Gardner 11. In Introduction 19. 1. The Four Difficulties 25 The Difficulty of Writing at All, The One Book Author, The Occasional Writer, The Uneven Writer, The Difficulties Not in Technical Equipment. 2. What Writers Are Like 35 Cultivating a Writer's Temperament, False and Real Artists, The Two Sides of a Writer, Dissociation Not Always Psychopathic, Everyday Exemplars of Dual Personality, The Sloth of Despond. 3. The Advantages of Duplicity 45 The Process of Story Formation, The Born Writer, Unconscious and Conscious, The Two Persons of the Writer, The Transparent Barrier, Keep Your Own Counsel, Your Best Friend and Severest Critic, The Right Recreation, Friends and Books, The Arrogant Intellect, The Two Selves Not at War, The First Exercise. 4. Interlude, On Taking Advice 61 Save Your Energy, Imagination versus Will in Changing Habits, Displacing Old Habits, A Demonstration, The Right Frame of Mind. 5. Harnessing the Unconscious 69 Wordless Daydreams, Toward Effortless Writing, Double Your Output. 6. Writing on Schedule 75 Engaging to Write, A Debt of Honor, Extending the Exercise, Succeed, or Stop Writing. 7. The first survey 81 reading your work critically, the pitfalls of imitation, discovering your strength, a footnote for teachers. 8. The critic at work on himself 89 a critical dialogue, be specific in suggestions, correction after criticism, the conditions of excellence, dictating a daily regime. 9. Readings as a writer 99 read twice, summary judgment and detailed analysis, the second reading, points of impertence. 10. On Imitation 105 Imitating Technical Excellences, How to Spend Words, Counteracting Monotony, Pick Up Fresh Words. 11. Learning to See Again 111 The Blinders of Habit, Causes of Repetitiousness, Recapturing Innocence of I, A Stranger in the Streets, The Rewards of Virtue. 12. The Source of Originality 119 The Elusive Quality, Originality Not Imitation, The Surprise Ending, Honesty, The Source of Originality, Trust Yourself, Your Anger and My Anger, One Story, Many Versions, Your Inalienable Uniqueness, A Questionnaire. 13. The Writer's Recreation 131 Busman's Holidays, Wordless Recreation, Find Your Own Stimulus, A Variety of Time Fillers. 14. 
The practice story 137 A recapitulation, the contagiousness of style, find your own style, the story in embryo, the preparatory period, writing confidently, a finished experiment, time for detachment, the critical reading. 15. The Great Discovery 147 The Five Finger Exercises of Writing, the Root of Genius, Unconscious, Not Subconscious, the Higher Imagination, Come to Terms with the Unconscious, the Artistic Coma and the Writer's Magic. 16. The Third Person, Genius 155 The Writer Not Dual But Triple, the Mysterious Faculty, Releasing Genius, Rhythm, Monotony, Silence, A Floor to Scrub. 17. The writer's magic 163x is to mind, as mind to body, hold your mind still, practice in control, the story idea as the object, the magic in operation, inducing the artistic coma, valedictory. In conclusion, some prosaic pointers 171 typewriting, have two typewriters, stationary, at the typewriter, write, for coffee addicts, coffee versus mate, reading, book and magazine buying. Bibliography. Index. 177. 181. Forward. It's an astonishing thing that Dorothea Brand's becoming a writer should ever have fallen out of print, and a lucky thing it is now back in the light, where it belongs. The root problems of the writer, whether the writer is young or old, just starting out or much published, are no different today than in 1934, when becoming a writer was first published. They do not have to deal with the techniques of writing fiction m-the subject matter of all creative writing courses m-and insofar, as the root problems never get mentioned, almost all creative writing courses are for most people most of the time failures. The root problems of the writer are personality problems, he or she cannot get started, or starts a story well then gets lost or loses heart, or writes very well some of the time, badly the rest of the time, or writes brilliantly but... 11. 12. Becoming a writer. After one superb story or novel cannot write again, or writes brilliantly, while the creative writing course lasts but after it is over can no longer write. The root problems, in other words, are problems of confidence, self-respect, freedom, the writer's demon is imprisoned by the various ghosts in the unconscious. Ms. Brand points out M-Dash with the delightful with we find everywhere in her book M-Dash that for the writer suffering from uncertainty and self-doubt, writing teachers and books about writing, not to mention symposia of famous authors, due to the young, or old, struggling writer just about the worst thing they could do, in the opening lecture, within the first few pages of his book, within a sentence or two of his author's symposium, he will be told rather shortly that genius cannot be taught, and there goes his hope glimmering. For, whether he knows it or not, he is in search of the very thing that is denied him in that dismissive sentence. Ms. Brand's purpose in becoming a writer is to make available to the writer the very thing usually denied. She is right that genius can be taught, once the secret emptiness of that phrase is understood, because in fact genius is as common as old shoes. Everybody has it, some more than others, perhaps, but that hardly matters, since no one Forward 13. Can hope to use up more than a very small portion of his or her native gift. Every nightmare, and even dogs have them, hints at the secret reserves of imaginative power in the human mind. What the stalled or not yet started writer needs is some magic for getting in touch with himself, some key. The writer needs to know what kinds of habits of thought and action impede progress, what who noticed forces undermine confidence, and so on. These problems are special for the writer, she points out.
writing teachers and how to write books are peculiarly pessimistic. Books written for painters do not imply that the chances are that the reader can never be anything but a conceited dauber, nor do textbooks on engineering start out by warning the student that, because he has been able to make a grasshopper out of two rubber bands and a matchstick he is not to think he is likely ever to be an honor to his chosen prof's sign. Ms. Brand knows and exposes the reasons for this mistaken pessimism in the field of writing. For one thing, most successful writers and writing teachers are not conscious themselves of how they got past the root problems, and having learned by experience that they cannot help others past them, in fact not fully understanding that the problems are there to get past, they give warning in advance of their limitation, and for 14 becoming a writer. Tunately laying the blame on the student and thereby incidentally intensifying the student's problems. There are various other reasons for this pessimism, this widespread error, even among written teachers, that writing cannot be taught. Ms. Brand comments on the workaday world's stereotypic idea about writers m-how they are childlike, undisciplined people, possibly witches, since, when writers are very good at what they do they seem to know more than a decent person ought to know. How writers, more than other artists, have no visible proof of their specialness once they've achieved it. Visual artists, carrying around their leather-enclosed portfolios, and musicians, bringing complicated and persuasive noise out of tubing or pieces of string and wood, have cumbersome physical evidence that they are not like other mortals. Writers only use words, as even parrots do. The defensiveness writers feel in the beginning and often feel even, after they've achieved success, since to write at all is to lay oneself open to attack, even scorn can take shape, in the older writer or writing teacher, as a kind of arrogant exclusiveness, though he takes your money for the creative writing course, he would not have you believe you are even in potential as clever as he is. Ms. Brand says, you are likely to hear, that your desire to write is perhaps only in. Forward 15. Infantile exhibitionism, or to be warned that because your friends think you are a great writer, as if they ever did, the world cannot be expected to share that fond opinion. And so on, most tiresomely. Ms. Brand's purpose, then, is to lay the ghosts of dash by specific advice and exercises lead the writer into close touch with his her unconscious, help the writer to develop healthy habits. There are reasons most writers smoke too much and drink too much coffee, if not gin and guide the writer to freedom from all forms of writer's block. Her approach, I might mention, is wonderfully forward-looking, though TM wasn't known, I think, at the time she wrote, she gives ingenious and subtle exercises in meditation, even speaks of what we would call mantras. Her whole focus, and a very valuable focus indeed, is on the writer's mind and heart. Except incidentally and in passing, she has nothing to say about writing technique. She would perhaps argue, if one could raise the question with her, that technique lies outside the specific concern of this book, which is the root problems, but here and there she betrays a real and, based on her own experience, apparently justified distrust of writing classes. At one point she mentions the possibility that, if the student did not suffer the psychological ailments she is out to eradicate, he would probably not be in a 16 becoming a writer. Writing course at all. At various points she shows a touch of impatience with classes on story form, and she mentions that all of the creative writing classes she herself attended were, like most books on writing, disappointing.
She speaks of the tendency of workshop writers to go after one another's stories to fend fang, and she again and again urges, rightly, that true originality can come only from within. It is certainly true that very few creative writing courses get at the root problems M-Ms. Brand's book makes me see that I myself have never seen or taught one that did M-But I do not share Ms. Brand's low opinion of creative writing classes. I do not mention this to suggest reservations about the work she does here but only to point out that the root psychological problems are not the only problems a writer must deal with. I cannot remember, myself, ever suffering any form of writer's block, and I've had, I think, a number of students who could say the same. Almost no one would argue, surely, that Cezanne's painting students, or the piano students of Cordet, would have been better off with a smart psychiatrist, or that what the young engineer really needs is a wise glory from Bombay. Though these days it is fashionable in some quarters to attack creative writing classes, it seems to me obvious that, for the student lucky enough not to be. Forward 17. Plagued by psychological root problems, or for the student who has somehow overcome those problems, such classes serve an invaluable function. I can think of only a handful of well-known American writers who have not taken creative writing courses, and usually not one course but several. What Ms. Brand's book suggests to me is not that creative writing courses do not do their job well, but that they do it well only for the lucky few, turning away or turning off those whose problems are anterior to the matter of the course. It is easy for writing teachers to become so fixed on high standards of writing, it is his or her own implacable will to write well or not at all that has made the teacher worthy of the role, and to become so impatient with those who presumably from laziness or bad character or stupidity, do not do their work, that teachers dismiss a majority of those they work with as not really writers or downright nincompoops, failing to notice where the nincompoopery really lies. If student writers go after one another to fend fang, or anyway, if they try it more than once, the fault is the teacher's m-he or she has failed to set the proper tone. No one can write successfully without some measure of technical mastery and inability to analyze truthfully and usefully the virtues and defects in his own work or the work of others. Those. 18. Becoming a writer. Are the things one learns in a good creative writing course. Ms. Brand's book brilliantly lays the foundation for such a course. Until the root problems have been confronted and dealt with, the student of creative writing is the victim of an unwitting mean trick. And until the teacher has recognized his or her responsibility to deal with those root human problems, as well as with those problems more dear to our hearts, the teacher belongs not in the classroom but in somebody's army and preferably far away. I speak of such teachers, you will have noticed, with great scorn. One often takes that tone when one feels guilty. I mean to improve myself. Pray for me, so that when Ms. Bran sees me trudging toward heaven she will not use her influence and cunning wit and have the gate locked. John Gardner's Esquihanna, Pennsylvania. October 25, 1980. In Introduction. For most of my adult life I have been engaged in the writing, the editing, or the criticizing of fiction. I took, and I still take, the writing of fiction seriously. The importance of novels and short stories in our society is great. Fiction supplies the only philosophy that many readers know, it establishes their ethical, social, and material standards, it confirms them in their prejudices or opens their minds to a wider world. The influence of any widely read book can hardly be overestimated. 
if it is sensational, shoddy, or vulgar our lives are the poorer for the cheap ideals which it sets in circulation, if, as so rarely happens, it is a thoroughly good book, honestly conceived and honestly executed, we are all indebted to it. The movies have not undermined the influence of fix shine. On the contrary, they have extended its field, carrying the ideas which are already current. 19. 20. Becoming a writer. Among readers to those too young, too impatient, or too uneducated to read. So I make no apology for writing seriously about the problems of fiction writers, but until two years ago I should have felt apologetic about adding another volume to the writer's working library. During the period of my own apprenticeship M-and, I confess, long after that apprenticeship should have been over M-I read every book on the technique of fiction, the constructing of plots, the handling of characters, that I could lay my hands on. I sat at the feet of teachers of various schools, I have heard the writing of fiction analyzed by a neo-Freudian, I submitted myself to an enthusiast who saw in the glandular theory of personality determination an inexhaustible mine for writers in search of characters, I underwent instruction from one who drew diagrams and from another who started with a synopsis and slowly inflated it into a completed story. I have lived in a literary colony and talked to practicing writers who regarded their calling variously as a trade, a profession, and, rather sheepishly, as an art. In short, I have had first-hand experience with almost every current approach to the problems of writing, and my bookshelves overflow with the works of other instructors whom I have not seen in the flesh. But two years ago M-after still more years. In Introduction 21 spent in reading for publishers, choosing the fix shine for a magazine of national circulation, written articles, stories, reviews and more extended criticism, conferring informally with editors and with authors of all ages about their work M-I began, myself, to teach a class in fiction writing. Nothing was further from my mind, on the evening of my first lecture, than adding to the top-heavy literature on the subject. Although I had been considerably disappointed in most of the books I had read and all the classes I had attended, it was not until I joined the ranks of instructors that I realized the true basis of my discontent. That basis of discontent was that the difficulties of the average student or amateur writer begin long before he has come to the place where he can benefit by technical instruction in story writing. He himself is in no position to suspect that truth. If he were able to discover for himself the reasons for his aridity the chances are that he would never be found enrolled in any class at all. But he only vaguely knows that successful writers have overcome the difficulties which seem almost insuperable to him, he believes that accepted authors have some magic, or at the very lowest, some trade secret, which, if he is alert and attentive, he may surprise. He suspects, further, that the teacher who offers his services knows that, 22 Becoming a Writer. Magic, and may drop a word about it which will prove an open sesame to him. In the hope of hearing it, or surprising it, he will sit doggedly through a series of instructions in story types and plot forming and technical problems which have no relation to his own dilemma. He will buy or borrow every book with fiction in the title, he will read any symposium by authors in which they tell their methods of work. In almost every case he will be disappointed. In the opening lecture, within the first few pages of his book, within a sentence or two of his author's symposium, he will be told rather shortly that genius cannot be taught, and there goes his hope glimmering. 
for, whether he knows it or not, he is in search of the very thing that is denied him in that dismissive sentence. He may never presume to call the obscure impulse to set down his picture of the world in words by the name of genius, he may never dare to bracket himself for a moment with the immortals of reading, but the disclaimer that genius cannot be taught, which most teachers and authors seem to feel must be stated as early and as abruptly as possible, is the death knell of his real hope. He had longed to hear that there was some magic about writing, and to be initiated into the brotherhood of authors. In Introduction 23, this book, I believe, will be unique, for I think he is right. I think there is such a magic, and that it is teachable. This book is all about the writer's magic. 1. The Four Difficulties. So, having made my apologies, and stated my belief, I am going, from now on, to address myself solely to those who hope to write. There is a sort of writer's magic. There is a procedure which many an author has come upon by happy accident or has worked out for himself which can, in part, be taught. To be ready to learn it you will have to go by rather roundabout way, first considering the main difficulties which you will meet, then embarking on simple, but stringently self-enforced, exercises to overcome those difficulties. Last of all you must have the faith, or the curiosity, to take one odd piece of advice which will be unlike any of the exhortations that... 25. 26. Becoming a writer. Have come your way in classrooms or in textbooks. In one other way, beside the admission that there is an initiate's knowledge in writing, I am going to depart from the usual procedure of those who offer handbooks for young authors. Open book after book devoted to the writer's problems, in nine cases out of ten you will find, well toward the front of the volume, some very gloomy paragraphs warning you that you may be no writer at all, that you probably lack taste, judgment, imagination, and every trace of the special abilities necessary to turn yourself from an aspirant into an artist, or even into a passable craftsman. You are likely to hear that your desire to write is perhaps only an infantile exhibitionism, or to be warned that, because your friends think you a great writer, as if they ever did, the world cannot be expected to share that fond opinion. And so on, most tiresomely. The reasons for this pessimism about young writers are dark to me. Books written for painters do not imply that the chances are that the reader can never be anything but a conceited dauber, nor do textbooks on engineering start out by warning the student that, because he has been able to make a grasshopper out of two rubber bands and a matchstick he is not to think that he is likely ever to be an honor to his chosen profession. The Four Difficulties 27 Perhaps it is true that self-delusion most often takes the form of a belief that one can write, as to that I cannot say. My own experience has been that there is no field where one who is in earnest about learning to do good work can make such enormous strides in so short a time. So I am going to write this book for those who are fully in earnest, trusting to their good sense and their intelligence to see to it that they learn the elements of sentence and paragraph structure, that they already see, that, when they have chosen to write they have assumed an obligation toward their reader to write as well as they are able, that they will have taken, and are still taking, every opportunity to study the masters of English prose reading, and that they have set up an exigent standard for themselves which they work without intermission to attain. It may be that it is only my extraordinary good fortune that I have met more writers of whom these things are true than deluded imbecile scribblers. 
but tragically enough I have met a number of sensitive young men and women who have very nearly been persuaded, because they had come up against one of the obstacles to writing which we are shortly going to consider, that they were unfit to write at all. Sometimes the desire to write overcame the humiliation they had had to undergo, but others dropped back into a 28 becoming a writer. Life with no creative outlet, unhappy, thwarted, and restless. I hope this book persuades some who are hesitating on the verge of abandoning writing to make a different decision. In my experience four difficulties have turned up again and again. I am consulted about them far oftener than I am asked for help in story structure or character delineation. I suspect that every teacher hears the same complaints, but that, being seldom a practicing author, he tends to dismiss them, as out of his field, or to see in them evidence that the troubled student has not the true vocation. Yet it is the very pupils who are most obviously gifted who suffer from these disabilities, and the more sensitively organized they are the higher the hazard seems to them. Your embryo journalist or hack writer seldom asks for help of any sort, he is off after agents and editors, while his more serious brother-in-arms is suffering the torments of the damned because of his insufficiencies. Yet instruction in writing is oftenest aimed at the oblivious tradesmen of fiction, and the troubles of the artist are dismissed or overlooked. The difficulty of writing at all. First there is the difficulty of writing at all. The full, abundant flow that must be established. The four difficulties 29. If the writer is to be heard from simply will not begin. The stupid conclusion that, if he cannot write easily he has mistaken his career is sheer nonsense. There are a dozen reasons for the difficulty which should be canvassed, before the teacher is entitled to say that he can see no signs of hope for this pupil. It may be that the root of the trouble is youth and humility. Sometimes it is self-consciousness that stems the flow. Often it is the result of misapprehensions about writing, or it arises from an embarrassment of scruples, the beginner may be waiting for the divine fire of which he has heard to blow unmistakably, and may believe that it can only be lighted by fortuitous spark from above. The particular point to be noted just here is that this difficulty is anterior to any problems about story structure or plot building, and that, unless the writer can be helped past it there is very likely to be no need for technical instruction at all. The one book author. Second, and far more often than the layman would believe, there is the writer who has had an early success but is unable to repeat it. Here again there is a Kant explanation which is offered, whenever this difficulty is met, this type of 30 Becoming a Writer. Writer, we are assured, is a one-book author, he has written a fragment of autobiography, has unburdened himself of his animus against his parents and his background, and, being relieved, cannot repeat his tour de force. But obviously he does not consider himself a one-book author, or we should hear nothing more from him. Moreover, all fiction is, in the sense used here, autobiographical, and yet there are fortunate authors who go on shaping, recombining, and objectifying the items of their experience into a long series of satisfactory books or stories. No, he is right in considering the sudden stoppage of his gift a morbid symptom, and right, usually, in thinking it can be relieved. It is evident, if this writer had a deserved success, that he already knows something, presumably a great deal, of the technical end of his art. His trouble is not there, and, except by happy accident, no amount of counsel and advice about technique will break the deadlock. He is, in some ways, more fortunate than the beginner who cannot learn to write fluently, 
for at least he has given evidence of his ability to set down words in an impressive order. But his first impatience at being unable to repeat his success can pass into discouragement and go on to actual despair, and an excellent author may be lost in consequence. The Four Difficulties 31. The Occasional Writer. The third difficulty is a sort of combination of the first two. There are writers who can, at wearisomely long intervals, write with great effectiveness. I have had a pupil whose output was one excellent short story each year m hardly enough to satisfy either body or spirit. The sterile periods were torture to her, the world, till she could write again, a desert waste. Each time she found herself unable to work she was certain she could never repeat her success, and, on first acquaintance, she very nearly persuaded me of it. But when the cycle was lived through from start to finish she always wrote again, and wrote well. Here again no technical instruction can touch the difficulty. Those who suffer from these silences in which not one idea seems to arise, not one sentence to come irresistibly to the mind's surface, may write like artists and craftsmen, when they have once broken the spell. The teacher consultant must form a definite idea of the root of the trouble and give counsel accordingly. It may be, again, that some notion of waiting for the lightning of inspiration to strike is behind the matter. Often it is the result of such ideals of perfection, as can hardly bear the light of day. Sometimes, but rarely, a kind of touchy van. Forty to becoming a writer. It is at work, which will not risk any rebuff and so will not allow anything to be undertaken which is not assured in advance of acceptance. The uneven writer. The fourth difficulty actually has a technical aspect, it is the inability to carry a story, vividly but imperfectly apprehended, to a successful conclusion. Writers who complain of this are often able to start a story well, but find it out of control after a few pages. Or they will write a good story so drilly and sparely that all its virtues are lost. Occasionally they cannot motivate their central action adequately, and the story carries no conviction. It is quite true that those who find themselves in this pass can be greatly helped by learning about structure, about the various forms which the story may take, of the innocuous tricks of the trade which will help a story over the style. But even here the real difficulty has set in long before the story form is in question. The author has not the self-confidence necessary to present his idea well, or he is too inexperienced to know how his characters would act in real life, or he is too shy to write, as fully and emotionally, as he needs to write, if his story is to come to life. The Writer Who The Four Difficulties 33 Turns out one weak, embarrassed, or abruptly told story after another obviously needs something more than to have his individual manuscripts criticized for him. As soon as possible he must learn to trust his own feeling for the story, and to relax in the telling, until he has learned to use the sure, deft stroke of the man who is master of his medium. So even this dilemma comes down, after all, to being a trouble in the writer's personality rather than a defect in his technical equipment. The difficulties not in technical equipment. Those are the four difficulties oftenest met at the outset of an author's writing life. Almost everyone who buys books on fiction writing, or takes classes in the art of the short story, suffers from one or another of these troubles, and until they have been overcome he is able to get very little benefit from the technical training which will be so valuable to him later. Occasionally writers are stimulated enough by the classroom atmosphere to turn out stories during the course, but they stop writing the moment that stimulus is withdrawn. 
an astonishing number who really want ardently to write are unable even to do as signed themes, yet they turn up hopefully and dash. 34 Becoming a writer. Sometimes year after year. Obviously they are looking for help that is not being given them, and obviously they are in earnest M-dash ready to spend what time, effort, and money they can to emerge from the class of novices and yearners and take their place among productive artists. 2. What writers are like. If these are the difficulties, then we must try to cure them, where they arise M-dash in the life and attitudes and habits, in the very character itself. After you have begun to see what it is to be a writer, after you learn how the artist functions and also learn to act in the same way, after you have arranged your affairs and your relations, so that they help you instead of hinder you on your way toward the goal you have chosen, those books on your shelves on the technique of fiction, or those others which set up models of prose style and story structure for emulation, will look quite different to you, and be infinitely more helpful. This volume is not intended to replace those. 35. 36 Becoming a Writer. Books on Craftsmanship. There are some handbooks so valuable that no writer should be without them. In the appended bibliography I give the titles of those I have found most helpful for myself and for my pupils, I have no doubt that the list could be doubled or trebled to advantage. This book is not even a companion volume to such works as those, it is a preliminary to them. If it is successful it will teach the beginner not how to write, but how to be a writer and that is quite another thing. Cultivating a writer's temperament. First of all, then, becoming a writer is mainly a matter of cultivating a writer's temperament. Now the very word temperament is justly suspect among well-balanced persons, so I hasten to say that it is no part of the program to inculcate a wild-eyed bohemianism, or to set up moods and caprices as necessary accompaniments of the author's life. On the contrary, the moods and tempers, when they actually exist, are the symptoms of the artist's personality gone wrong m-running off into waste effort and emotional exhaustion. I say, when they actually exist, for much of the bumptious idiocy which the average man be. What writers are like 37. Leaves is an inalienable part of the artist's makeup has no being, except in the eye of the beholder. He has heard tales of artists all his life, and very frequently he really believes poetic license to mean that the artist claims the right to ignore every moral code which inconveniences him. What the non-writer thinks about the artist would be of little account if it did not influence those who would like to write. They are persuaded against their will and their better sense that there is something fearful and dangerous in an artist's life, and some of the very shyness which we have seen as a mischief maker comes from their giving too much credence to such popular notions. False and real artists. After all, very few of us are born into homes, where we see true examples of the artistic temperament, and since artists do certainly conduct their lives m-necessarily m-on a different pattern from the average man of business, it is very easy to misunderstand what he does, and why he does it, when we see it from the outside. The picture of the artist, as a monster made up of one part vain child, one part suffering martyr, and one part bow leverdier is a legacy to us from the last century, and a remarkably embarrassing injury. 38 Becoming a Writer. Tense. There is an earlier and healthier idea of the artist than that, the idea of the genius as a man more versatile, more sympathetic, more studious than his fellows, more catholic in his tastes, less at the mercy of the ideas of the crowd. 
the grain of truth in the Findesiecla notion, though, is this, the offer of genius does keep till his last breath the spontaneity, the ready sensitiveness, of a child, the innocence of eye that means so much to the painter, the ability to respond freshly and quickly to new scenes, and to old scenes, as though they were new, to see traits and characteristics, as though each were new minted from the hand of God instead of sorting them quickly into dusty categories and pigeonholing them without wonder or surprise, to feel situations so immediately and keenly that the word trite has hardly any meaning for him, and always to see the correspondences between things of which Aristotle spoke two thousand years ago. This freshness of response is vital to the author's talent. The two sides of a writer. But there is another element to his character, fully as important to his success. It is adult, discriminating, temperate, and just. It is the side of what writers are like 39. The artisan, the workman and the critic rather than the artist. It must work continually with and through the emotional and childlike side, or we have no work of art. If either element of the artist's character gets too far out of hand the result will be bad work, or no work at all. The writer's first task is to get these two elements of his nature into balance, to combine their aspects into one integrated character. And the first step toward that happy result is to split them apart for consideration and training. Dissociation not always psychopathic. We have all read a great many Sunday feature stories, magazine articles, and books of popularized psychology, so our first impulse is to shy violently away from the words dissociation of personality. A dual personality, to the reader who has a number of half-digested notions about the constitution of the mind is an unlucky fellow who should be in a psychopathic ward or, at the happiest, a flighty, hysterical creature. Nevertheless, every offer is a very fortunate sort of dual personality, and it is this very fact that makes him such a bewildering, tantalizing, irritating figure to the plain man of affairs who flatters himself that he, at least, is all of a piece. But there is no... 40 Becoming a Writer. Scandal and no danger in recognizing that you have more than one side to your character. The journals and letters of men of genius are full of admissions of their sense of being dual or multiplet in their nature. There is always the workaday man who walks, and the genius who flies. The idea of the alter ego, the other self, or higher self, recurs, wherever genius becomes conscious of its own processes, and we have testimony for it in age after age. Everyday Examples of Dual Personality Indeed, the dual character of the genius is almost a commonplace. As a matter of fact, it is a commonplace for all of us, to some extent. Everyone has had the experience of acting with a decision and neatness in an emergency which seem later to him to savor of the miraculous. This was the figure which Frederick W. H. Myers used to convey his idea of the activity of genius. Or there is the experience of the second wind that comes after long grinding effort, when suddenly fatigue seems to drop away and a new character to arise like a phoenix from the exhausted mind or body, and the work that once so haltingly begins to flow under the hand. There is the obscure, but cognate, experience of having reached a decision. What writers are like 41. Solved a problem, while we slept, and finding the decision good, the solution valid. All these everyday miracles bear a relation to genius. At such moments the conscious and the unconscious conspire together to bring about the maximum effect, they play into each other's hands, supporting, strengthening, and supplementing each other, 
so that the resulting action comes from the full, integral personality, bearing the authority of the undivided mind. The man of genius is one who habitually, or very often, or very successfully, acts, as his less gifted brothers only rarely do. He not only acts in an event, but he creates an event, leaving his record of the moment on paper, canvas, or in stone. As it were, he makes his own emergency and acts in it, and his willingness both to instigate and perform marks him off from his more inert, less courageous comrades. Everyone who has seriously wanted to write has some hint of this. Often it is in the very moment of vision that the first difficulties arise. Embarkation on the career is easy enough, an inclination to reverie, a love of books, the early discovery that it is not too difficult to turn a phrase m to find any or all of these things in one's first adolescent consciousness is to believe that one has found the inevitable, and not too formidable, vocation. 42 Becoming a Writer the slough of despond. But then comes the dawning comprehension of all that a writer's life implies, not easy daydreaming, but hard work at turning the dream into a reality without sacrificing all its glamour, not the passive following of someone else's story, but the finding and finishing of a story of one's own, not writing a few pages which will be judged for style or correctness alone, but the prospect of turning out paragraph after paragraph and page after page which will be read for style, content, and effectiveness. Nor is this by any means all the beginning writer foresees. He worries to think of his immaturity, and wonders how he ever dared to think he had a word worth saying. He gets as suggestric at the thought of his unseen readers as any sapling actor. He discovers that, when he is able to plan a story step by step, the fluency he needs to write it has flown out the window or that, when he lets himself go on a loose rein, suddenly the story is out of hand. He fears that he has a tendency to make his stories all alike, or paralyzes himself with the notion that he will never, when this story is finished, find another that he likes as well. He will begin to follow current reputations and harry himself, because he has not this writer's humor or that one's ingenuity. He will find a hundred reasons to doubt. What writers are like 43? Himself and not one for self-confidence. He will suspect that those who encouraged him are too lenient, or too far from the market to know the standards of successful fiction. Or he will read the work of a real genius in words, and the discrepancy between that gift and his own will seem a chasm to swallow his hopes. In such a state, lighting now and again by moments, when he feels his own gift alive and surging, he may stay for months or years. Every writer goes through this period of despair. Without doubt many promising writers, and most of those who were never meant to write, turn back at this point and find a life work less exacting. Others are able to find the other bank of their slough of despond, sometimes by inspiration, sometimes by sheer doggedness. Still others turn to books or counselors. But often they are unable to tell the source of their baffled discomfort, they may even assign the reasons for their feeling of fright to the wrong causes, and think that they miss effectiveness, because they cannot write dialogue, or are no good at plots, or make all the characters too stiff. When they have worked as intensively as possible to overcome the weakness, only to find that their difficulties continue, there comes another unofficial weeding out. Some drop away from this group, still others persist, even though they have. 44 Becoming a Writer Reached the stage of dumb discomfort, where they no longer feel that they can diagnose their own cases. 
No ordeal by discouragement which editors, teachers, and older writers can devise is going to kill off the survivor of this type. What he needs to realize first is that he tried to do too much at once, and next, that, although he started going about his self-education step by step, he took the wrong steps. Most of the methods of training the conceited side of the writer M-the craftsman and the critic in him M-dash are actually hostile to the good of the unconscious, the artist's side, and the converse of this proposition is likewise true. But it is possible to train both sides of the character to work in harmony, and the first step in that education is to consider that you must teach yourself not, as though you were one person, but two. 3. The Advantages of Duplicity To see why training oneself to be a writer is a doubtless ask, let us go rapidly over the process of story formation. The process of story formation. Like any other art, creative writing is a function of the whole man. The unconscious must flow freely and richly, bringing at demand all the treasures of memory, all the emotions, incidents, scenes, intimations of character and relationship which it has stored away in its depths, the con. 45. 46. Becoming a writer. See his mind must control, combine, and discriminate between these materials without hampering the unconscious flow. The unconscious will provide the writer with types of all kinds m-typical characters, typical scenes, typical emotional responses, the conscious will have the task of deciding which of these are too personal, too purely idiosyncratic to be material for art, and which of them are universal enough to be useful. It may also be called upon to add intentionally those special traits which turn to universal a figure into an individual character, to undertake the humanizing of a type form m-necessity, if the fiction is to convey a sense of reality. Each writer's unconscious will be found to have, if I may put it so, a type story of its own, because of the individual's history, he will tend to see certain dilemmas as dramatic and overlook others entirely, as he will also have his own idea of the greatest possible happiness and personal good. Of course, it follows that each writer's stories will always bear a fundamental likeness to each other. This need not be seen as a threat of monotony, but the conscious mind must be enough aware of it to alter, recombine, introduce elements of surprise and freshness into each new story project. Because of the tendency of the unconscious to see things in types, it is the unconscious, in the long run, which dictates the form of the story. The Advantages of Duplicity 47 But this will be taken up more fully later. All that needs pointing out here is that, if this is so a great deal of instruction on plot making is a waste of time. Certain ingenuities can be suggested, the popular story of any given period can be isolated and studied, and formulas for its writing can be devised, but unless a given formula is already congenial to the student he will get little help by attempting to model his own work upon it. At any rate, the story arises in the unconscious. It then appears, sometimes only vaguely prefigured, at other times astonishingly definite, in the consciousness. There it is scrutinized, pruned, altered, strengthened, made more spectacular or less melodramatic, and is returned into the unconscious for the final synthesis of its elements. After a period of intense activity and dash which, however, goes on at so deep a level that the author himself occasionally feels he has forgotten or lost his idea M-it once again signals to the conscious that the work of synthesis has been done, and the actual writing of the story begins. The Born Writer In the genius, 
or the born writer, we see this process taking place so smoothly and often so rapidly that even this overcompressed scheme seems to misrepresent the story's history. But the 48 becoming a writer. Genius, you must remember, is the man who by some fortunate accident of temperament or edicatine can put his unconscious completely at the service of his reasonable intention, whether or not he is aware that this is so. The proof of this statement will emerge later, for the process of making a writer is the process of teaching the novice to do by artifice what the born writer does spontaneously. Unconscious and conscious. The unconscious is shy, elusive, and unwieldy, but it is possible to learn to tap it at will, and even to direct it. The conscious mind is medlassum, opinionated, and arrogant, but it can be made subservient to the inborn talent through training. By isolating as far as possible the functions of these two sides of the mind, even by considering them not merely as aspects of the same mind but as separate personalities, we can arrive at a kind of working metaphor, impossible to confuse with reality, but infinitely helpful in self-education. The two persons of the writer. So, for a period, while the conception is useful to you, think of yourself as two persons in one. There will be a prosaic, everyday, practical perk. The advantages of duplicity 49. Son to bear the brunt of the day's encounters. It will have plenty of virtues to offset its stolidity, it must learn to be intelligently critical, detached, tolerant, while at the same time remembering that its first function is to provide suitable conditions for the artist's self.